If you have your Bible today, uh, I want you to go to Mark chapters, uh, rather Matthew 16, Matthew 16, Matthew 16. I want to speak to you a message today in this whole uh, calling series called Called to Carry. And now this is not a message on the Second Amendment, okay? Maybe someday. Um, but uh, I, I just want you to know that as a church, we recognize that the Lord is calling this church to significantly increase its reach into this community. To, to raise up a people who say, I am willing to be used by God to, be, to bring meaningful change into neighborhoods. Meaningful change into areas right now that if you were to walk into them, you would say, oh, no, 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 don't go there. Uh, there's, there's a meth house there. Well, guess what? It doesn't have to stay there when some kingdom-minded people say, okay, man, God will raise us up to bring meaningful change. And we'll see the, the addict set free. And we see other places that are filled with abuse. But we'll step into those areas and suddenly the peace and the love of God starts to reign in those areas. See, we are called to carry responsibility. And I, I, I felt that in a very meaningful way this week. You know, uh, as, as many of you know, we've been, uh, we're under contract to, to uh, secure 20 uh, acres of commercial property about a quarter mile from here right off of 486 and on Tuesday I am glad to announce that we fully closed on that 20 acres totally debt free come on oh but no see okay that was a wild experience because I don't know if anybody else has written a $595,000 check before or just signed your signed your name and that's a lot of money Glory to God. Y'all are like, wow, we did what? Yeah, we did that together. Together we did that. Without a capital campaign, mind you. That's God. But see, that wasn't the exciting part to me. All of the closing, the exciting part was when me and Pastor Todd looked like an episode off of the Discovery Channel. And we're out there. There's no, there, there, there are no way to get to our property apart from just digging into it. Parking in places there's no parking. And walking that land. And on that land, I suddenly begin to realize, oh God. You're expanding your kingdom in this county. Oh, God, I'm walking on this land, and I see trees right now, but I hear a song of worship rising from this place. I hear prayers rising. I hear salvation rising in this place. I hear a next generation raised up in the presence of God, knowing Jesus. And I, I begin to say, oh, God, what are you inviting us to do with you? I begin to realize, oh God, you're, you're saying, hey, I want you to carry something with me. You see, last week I left you with this thought that what we needed to do was actually, uh, you know, leave our nets. Some of us like the idea of being empty-handed. We're like, whew, 
Finally, I let go of all responsibility. But see, when you let go of your nets, God says, okay, now I'm giving you something else to carry. I'm putting something else in your hand. And I want you to understand this from Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And it says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. A disciple and understanding our calling is connected to knowing what we are carrying. We are carrying our cross. Not the cross of Christ. We are bearing our cross. We are meant to carry our cross. But, you know, in that figurative language, sometimes we're confused about what that looks like. What does that look like, us carrying our cross? We see in all the Gospels what it looks like for Jesus to carry his, but what does it look like for us to carry ours? And then you really begin to investigate, you find out, oh, God gets very specific with us in scriptures about what it looks like to carry our cross and follow him. You see, um, we have a couple of statements that we live by here. One is connected to the culture of this place. We call it our mission statement. And it is this, together we extravagantly love Jesus. If you're a first-time guest here and you wonder, why was there so much worship? Why so much? I know a lot of people, first-time guests go, man, there was a lot of singing. Listen, if you think that's a lot of singing, wait till you get to heaven. You say, well, I kind of like silence. I kind of like the quiet. I read my Bible. For you, God does give you 30 minutes. Read your Bible. You get 30 minutes of quiet in heaven. The rest time, it's full-on worship for all eternity. So we here at Calvary, we say, Jesus, you're worthy not only of worship, but extravagant worship. It's lifted hands. It's knees that are sometimes bent in the altar. Sometimes it's laying on our face. It's singing loud. Saying, God, you're worthy of extravagant worship. But then we also combine that with selflessly loving others. Those two go hand in hand. If you really worship God, you'll begin to see the people he cares about. And you'll suddenly begin to say, God, I need to selflessly love others. Now, that's a grand culture that you walk into. Our prayer is that you would experience that culture uh, together in the corporate gathering. But there is also something that we are desiring to see happen in every one of you. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, this is for you. Our vision, listen is to see every single person saved. Every single person born again. Listen, I don't care that you come here and you enjoyed the music or you said, well, pastor, that message was fantastic. If you leave here and you don't know Jesus and you're not born of the Spirit of God, oh God, my heart would ache for you because our vision is that every single person that comes in here would meet Christ and receive the free gift of salvation that he provided to us through the cross. That's our cry, that every person would be saved. But it doesn't end there because the cross doesn't only save it heals 
it heals. The cross heals. The cross doesn't provide physical healing. You better believe it. By his stripes, we are healed. But I want to tell you today, but there's also a whole lot of emotional healing we need. Mind, will, and emotion, and God wants to heal that. You don't have to stay broken emotionally your whole life, addicted to a, a pill, addicted to a weed, addicted to some kind of substance that you think, man, I'm going to have to cope my whole life. Not when I see the cross. Why? It's our vision to see every person, every person saved and healed. And then, boy, you say there's more? Oh, yeah. You say, well, what a life just to be saved and healed. I know. But God doesn't just save you and heal you and take you to heaven. He then says, no, I'm here to empower you. I'm here to give you my presence in your life. You've got a purpose for the reason that you're still on this planet. You've got a real purpose. And that empowerment comes from the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It also comes from going on a journey of discovery, daring to look in the mirror and say, God, what do you see in me? How did you make me? How did, how did you fashion me? And then saying, okay, how can we help you step into your calling and launch you there? Now, those are lofty ideas. One is culture. One is individual. All of them require God. Those things require God. What can we do? And this is where, where the cross becomes central here at Calvary. Our strategy as leaders and, and pastors here is to create environments where you are encouraged to carry your cross. And we say it to four areas because we believe every person is born with influence. You have a measure of influence that you are called to walk in for God. And we believe that it's ever expanding. We think your first area of influence, we create environments where you say, I'm going to carry the cross to my family. Some people are willing to go halfway around the world, but the idea that walking through their front door missionally, it never even crossed their mind. And I want to tell you, dads, you're called to be the priest of your home. It's time that we begin to say, oh man, when I walk in the house, I'm shifting the atmosphere. I'm not going to be a drain on my wife. She's not going to wonder whether or not I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I'm going to be worshiping. I'm not just, I'm not watching, what, watching whatever. Boy, I'm going to turn on some YouTube worship videos. I got, man, uh, maybe some of you are like, man, I wish I could have that worship team at home. Well, you can. You got YouTube. I've seen some. Some of y'all got 75-inch, 80-inch screens. Come on, I like Marvel too, but give, come on, give me a break. Let's begin to worship and say, God, I'm going to carry the cross to my house. Let me tell you the next area. We say, we want you to carry the cross to the church. That's the next area. Did you know that, that we are called as a community to say, okay, I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to bear some responsibility for my church. You know what that means? That means when somebody gets a breakthrough, when somebody gets an answered prayer, man, I am rejoicing. I'm like, hallelujah, you got the, you, you got the job you were seeking. Man, you got the breakthrough. God healed you. God sustained you. But it also means that when somebody is hurting, we not only rejoice with those who are rejoicing, we mourn with those who mourn. We come alongside and say, how can I lift? How can I, how can I help bear the burden? I am carrying the cross to my church. 
And then community. See, it's growing in influence. And I love a, that, that Calvary Church, in my mind, this place is not just a place that wants to pull resources from a community. We are a church that says, God, how can you use us in this community? How can we give? Listen, every year in October, this last year, we had 3,500 people show up who chose, listen, who chose Harvest Night over the Cooter Fest. I mean, just based on the name, I would come to Harvest Night. First, the name is weird, and I don't want that much to do with a turtle anyway. And you know what? What do we do? We spend thousands and thousands of dollars to put on uh, uh, one night to bless families in this community. And we don't ask them for a dollar. We say we're sowing an act of love into this community. And, you know, suddenly people think, whoa, this church isn't looking to just, you know, just to receive something from us. They actually care about us. We show up in parks and we clean up parks and we show up at schools and we beautify schools and we serve in real ways out in the community and think, God, where can I go and be a voice and a light where I'm not getting paid to do it? See, God is calling us to carry the cross to this community, but then, make no mistake, we are called in this little tiny place of Inverness, Florida, to have a global impact for the kingdom. That's why there are missionaries on the wall that today there's somebody standing in Sri Lanka proclaiming the gospel because Calvary Church says, I'll partner with you. There's somebody right today in Tokyo, Japan, come on, preaching the gospel, who said, who said Calvary said, I'll step up with you. I'll stand with you. It's happening in Honduras. It's happening in the Middle East. It's happening in Jordan. As people are fleeing the Ukraine, trying to get out of war's way. You know what? Our people aren't running away from the fire. They're running to it. I got an email this week from people that we support, missionaries we've supported from Convoy of Hope. They say, we know what's going down. And let me tell you, Convoy of Hope is on the way. Oh, I don't know if that matters to you, but it matters to me that in a world that is on fire, we're not running away from it. We're saying, I'm coming with the water of his presence. And church, we need to realize that this is what God has called us to do. We're carrying some responsibility. We're carrying the cross. But I love what Jesus says. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, then means there was something that he said before. It denotes a sequence of events. So what are the verses before? In 21 through 23, we should read them. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Verse 22 Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Can you imagine? Has this guy forgotten? Has he forgotten all the times that he has put his foot in his mouth? I mean, come on. 
Jesus is now explaining the very reason he has come to the planet and said, um, Jesus, a word. Never. Don't say that again. Never. This will not happen to you. Do you hear me, Jesus? I love Jesus' response. Jesus turned and said to Peter, I love this. Jesus turned when he was saying, never, this will never happen. Jesus had his back turned to Peter. And when he turned to address him, he said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Merely human concerns. I would say to you today that when it comes to standing in the way of God's purposes... If you want to be a stumbling block to what God is doing in the kingdom, just think about human concerns. He says, if you, he says, you're a stumbling block and offense to me. Why? Because you only have in mind the concerns of men. He says, he's saying, Jesus, that would have, that would cause me a lot of pain because we're close. You don't know what that would put me through if you went through what you just said you were going to through. You, I only have in mind the things of men. I want to tell you, church, God is calling this place to think about the concerns of the kingdom of God for this region. That there, you can't only think, well, how will they respond if I preach the gospel to them? How will they, how will they respond if I tell them that Jesus is the only way? You're concerned, I'll lose their friendship. Our family will be fractured. Stop living just concerned about the things of men and get your heart on the things of God and watch how he brings you into his purposes. So we've been talking about the last few weeks about how do we answer God's call. Pastor Corey spoke a message, wonderful message called Answer God is Calling. And then I shared a message called The Disciples Call. You need to go and listen to those messages. Listen, they will be very impactful on your life. But we're going to look once more at, at this moment where Jesus is answering the call. We're going to see what Jesus is definitely committed to doing when he's answering his call. Let me give you your, your first step. If you're going to uh, kind of step into God's purposes, if you're going to carry the cross, you have to answer God's call in your life. Did you know he has a call in your life? It was God's call on Jesus as he was explaining to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Why was he explaining this? He's saying this is the only way that fallen man can be redeemed. Listen to me. If you're here today, there is only one way and the reason there is a way is because Jesus chose the way of carrying 
his cross. You don't go to heaven because you're good. You go to heaven because he's so good that he would be nailed to a crimson cross and hang between heaven and earth for six hours and give up the ghost and say, it's finished. That's why you go to heaven. You place faith in what he did for you, not what we could ever do for ourselves. Now, I will say this. Only Jesus could faithfully answer that call. How many of you would agree? Only that, that the thieves that died on the cross that day, they had no eternal impact on our lives, right? They were dying on a cross. They, they, that, that produces nothing in us. But when Jesus answered his call as the spotless lamb of God, it provided a way for us to be made right with God by his own blood. Okay? So he answered his specific call. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that only you can answer your specific call. Because of the verse, he says, you've got to take up your cross. Only you can answer your call. You say, I'm not real sure if I have a call. Well, I'm glad you questioned me that way in front of everybody. <laughs> Second Timothy 1.9 says this, God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He has called you with a holy calling and it is connected to eternity. That plan is written in eternity. You have a calling and only you can answer that calling. Now, I want you to know about it. I want all of us to really understand our, our, our callings in Christ. And there's In the scriptures, there are probably some differing opinions on this, but there's about 24 different giftings and callings within the scripture. And all of us have at least one of them given to us to steward in the body of Christ. We say it like this uh, often that our destiny many times is found in our design. Why? Because God says these words to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. How is it that before he's in his mother's womb, he is set apart? It is because God wrote the plan in advance for his life, just the way he wrote the plan for you. And we as the body, the, what we are doing is we are carrying the cross by answering that call. Now in Foundations, we teach you a lesson called the nature of our calling. And I'm just going to go through it quickly. We go through it in depth there. But uh, if you're going to understand your calling, go back to the disciples' calling in Mark chapter 3. This is a beautiful illustration of the nature of your calling. So when you're carrying your cross and you're answering your calling, this is what it looks like. First, it's relational. I love this. Mark 3.13 says, He went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Oh, man, my calling first and foremost is relational with Jesus. Oh, it's one thing to think to yourself, man, I really want God. It's another thing altogether to think that the son of the living God wants you. He wants to be with you. He wants to have real relationship with you. He calls you because he wants to walk with you. 
It's relational. Secondly, it's a process. The next verse it says, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him. How long was Jesus' public ministry? Three and a half years. Many of those uh, of his disciples were with him uh, most of that time. It was a process. By the way, when they came into relationship with Jesus, they were pretty messed up. We talked about that last week. How they would speak out of turn and, 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 and it really, I mean, Peter would cut a guy's ear off. He would cuss out a little girl around a fire. Read the Bible. These guys were in process. But aren't you thankful that Jesus still wanted them even though he knew there would be a process? So you need to understand today that God is saying, I'm calling you because I want you and I want you to walk with me while you're in process. Never forget Philippians 1.6 that says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it even to the day of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want you, but walk Walk with me because you're not today what you will be tomorrow. Oh, man, I used to be. Man, I used to be bad, but I'm not anymore. I tell you, you may have come into this place, but you know, addicted, broke, disgusted with yourself. Why don't you just answer his call to relationship and take one step with him? You'll step out of that bondage. You'll step out of that addiction. Before you know it, man, all of a sudden, the button that the devil used to press in your life, all of a sudden, that button's gone. The devil can't push on that anymore. Why? Because I've just decided I'm walking with him. And he's going to do a work in me. So your relation, your, your, your calling, it's, it's relational and it's a process. But, oh, let me talk to you today. Mark 3, 14, he says that he might send them out to preach. Oh, there you go, pastor. I was fine if the disciples, if my calling was just to be in relationship with God and to walk with him and to sit silently as you preach. No. The nature of your calling is that your whole life would be a sermon for God. That everything about you, that there is a boldness to your call. You are bold. Why? Listen, if you're born again, every guilty stain has been washed away. And Jesus not only washed you and made you clean, he removed shame from you. So I can talk about what I used to be bound in. Why? Because not only did he set me free from the sin, he set me free from the shame. That's why I can witness. That's why I can be bold in this call. It's bold. Oh, man, too many terrible preachers misquote St. Francis of Assisi. Where they say, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Read, read the whole quote. You'll find out how necessary the words are. 
It is necessary that we open our mouths and begin to tell the story of the redemption of God in our life. And listen, when you start understanding that he wants you and that he's committed to you in process, suddenly you are going to begin to tell people, man, I got to tell you about Jesus, how much he loves me, how much he has helped me, how much he has delivered me. I've got to share this story of redemption. When this world is burning down, we need the hope of the cross. It's bold. Let me give you the next one. Mark 3, it just keeps going on. It's supernatural. Ah, it doesn't mess up. if, if, If the boldness didn't mess you up, now I have just gone to completely meddling. He says, I'm going to send you out to preach. And what else does he say? He says, I'm going to give you the power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Uh Uh-oh. Boy, if you were were just really wanting to fit in at the country club, boy, I tell you what, you just burned it all down there. Why? Because our calling is to see sickness and disease and say, no, I am here to intervene. I'm here to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And some of us have gotten comfortable with that, man, because how how wonderful is it when somebody finally finds relief after they've been in pain for a while? But, But see, we don't even want to talk about the end of this verse. It says to cast out demons. And the only... Uh, the only experience that you may have with demons that you know about is when you watch the movie, the, you know, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. You say, well, I like horror. Well, here's the horror, that many people are bound today by demonic influence. God says, I put a calling on your life to see people set free from darkness. And the church doesn't realize is that the way that they can come out of darkness in the unseen realm is by someone who lives in the light of Christ stepping in and says, in the name of Jesus, devil, take your hands off of that one. Take your hands off of their life in the name of Jesus. Now, it doesn't end there. You don't only deal with the supernatural. You also deal with the natural. So if they're hungry, don't just if they're hungry, don't just bind the spirit of lack. How about buy them some groceries? See, it's supernatural. Mark 16, 17 says, And these signs will follow them who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it'll by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Wow. That's amazing. Our calling is amazing. All right, pastor. I see it. You're calling me to the big leagues. feel like I'm in training camp right now. Where, where do I start? Where's my single A ball? Where, where's single A Christianity? I need to be in the lower league. Put me in little league. I need little league Christianity. I need some training. I'm here to tell you that doesn't exist. If you think, well, one day... When I gain all the the biblical understanding, and you should stay in the word, when I pray enough at at enough prayer meetings, or I attend enough Sunday services on time, because it doesn't count if you're late, 
And you say, you say, oh, when I get all these things, then I will have achieved my, my masters of Christianity and suddenly I can step into the nature of this calling. No, no, no. Let me just tell you when your calling is and where it is. It is right here and it is right now. If you are born again and filled with God's spirit, it starts right here and right now. Acts 17 says this, from one blood, God made every nation of all men that dwell on the earth. And this is what it says. He pre-appointed the times in which we live and the boundaries of our dwelling that we might reach for him and grope for him and find him even though he is not far from each one of us. What is this saying? It's saying there are pre-appointed times and pre-appointed boundaries of our dwellings so that we can reach out and find God and walk in his purposes. Here's what I want to tell you. If you're dreaming about living in a different decade, you are not dreaming God's dream because when God dreamed the answers to the problem problems of 2022, he says, I have an idea. I'm sending you to that time. I'm giving you a pre-appointed time and an anointing to see those problems solved. If you could dare to believe that I am here in the time I'm supposed to be here. And some of you here for years before Florida became the superstar of the United States, before that, you guys were always trying to escape. You were trying, yeah. You were probably thinking, well, I'm, I'm just going to try to get out of here. Where can I go and find a better job, find a better this, find a better that? And you'd go to leave and you're trying to arrange and you got your, you got your uh, applications out on Indeed and you're, bang, I'm into a wall and now I'm into another wall and I'm into another wall. And may, some, of you, some of you climbed the wall and you got out and then suddenly a few years later you're back in Citrus County. And you're like, well, I'm back again. <laughs> you're like, I don't get it. The Acts 17 says not only does God pre-appoint the times in which you live, but the boundaries of your dwelling. You're not bumping into obstacles. You're bumping into God's wall, trying to hem you into God's purposes. And if you could only believe it, this is your promised land. Some of y'all have been cursing your promised land so it looks like a desert. You've been saying with your mouth, oh man, this is this, this, I hate this place. Stop it. Trust me, ask a few Californians who've just moved here whether or not they love this place. You say, I moved here to get away from people. I know, and now you're going to have to preach to all the people moving here. I wanted to connect with God's nature. <laughs> you really will connect with his creation when you look people in the eyes who are in need of redemption that's already been supplied through Christ. Today, church, you need to realize your calling is right here, right now. It's right here, right now. Now, is there a price? Is there a price if you don't answer your call? If you just simply hear this sermon and say, man, that really works for my, my Holy Ghost wife. 
That'll work for me. You know me. I've got a high truck and tight jeans, big old dip in my lip. That don't work. That cramps my southern style, living for God all the way. I want to tell you, men of God, you need to listen to me. There's a price if you don't answer God's call. There's a price. How do I know that? Because of what Mordecai said in Esther 4, 14. When Esther was saying, man, I thought I was just here to be beautiful. Mordecai said, no, 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 no. He said, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm wondering if God will awaken some men who say, God, this is my time. And I'm done living for culture and the acceptance of anybody else. I'm going to live right here, right now, fully for God. And I'm not going to let me and my house perish on my watch I'm going to answer God's call and live for him fully and carry the cross this is there's a second way when you answer your call there's a second thing that we can learn from that passage in Matthew 16 from Christ we learn that carrying the cross means removing stumbling blocks What did Jesus have to do? He had to get Peter out of his way, who was being controlled by Satan. He had to get this satanic message, this satanic thinking out of his way. So we're called to remove stumbling blocks. Let me give you two ways. There's lots of stumbling blocks out there. Let me give you two ways. Both of them are connected to wrong thinking. First stumbling block that you and I are called to remove for others is the stumbling block of wrong thinking about ourselves. See, when you start to carry your cross and you see people who are stumbling over, over the way they think about themselves, meaning, meaning this, sometimes uh, you'll hear people say, God would never forgive me for what I did. You know what that is? That is less of an indictment against God. It is more an indictment against themselves saying, I'm not valuable enough for God to reach in and touch my life. And let me tell you, that's a stumbling It's a stumbling block that keeps people out of their purposes. It keeps them out of their callings. And I'm here to tell you, church, we're called to help people think about themselves the way God thinks about them. You say, how would I help them? You say, listen, God determined your value when he bankrupted heaven, sent the treasure of heaven of God's only son and let him die on the cross to pay the price for your life. And so if the price for my life was God's only son, then I can never diminish the value that he's assigned to me regardless of what I've done because of what he gave is for what I've done. There's tons of wrong thinking. It's God won't come through for me. He may do it for someone else. 
I, I don't think he thinks about me that way. I'm, I'm here to tell you, if you ever really walk with God, I mean, you'll think like I do. Like, for me personally, I know I'm God's favorite. Okay, okay, I feel like I'm God's favorite. Now, the scripture says God never shows favoritism. He never does that. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't make each and every one of us feel like his favorite. So I walk around all the time feeling like I'm God's favorite. I know it's theologically a little uh, aloof, but if I think I'm God's favorite, he's God's favorite, she's God's favorite, and I think we're all God's favorite, suddenly I'm actually aligning myself with the way God thinks about us rather than embracing a stumbling block that would keep me from receiving the abundance of God's love he wants to pour out in my life. I know some of you have heard this. I've done too much to be used by God. I've done too much. You know, I would just say this to you. Let me remove this stumbling block for you. Jesus has done too much for you to keep you from doing everything you can for him. He's done everything that we need, and we need to remove that stumbling block. Let me just give you another one, and I I would say it this way, and there's a a quote from Bill Johnson. He says it this way. He says, I don't, let me say it properly. I cannot afford to spend time thinking thoughts about myself that God is not thinking. Let me tell you, the other area of wrong thinking is bad theology. When I think wrong thoughts about God, when I don't really think of him in terms of really who he is, I get into a problem area. Let me say it to you this way, and then I'll explain it. I'll give you a quote from a, a great theologian I greatly respect. If you place faith in a God that doesn't exist, you'll never get results. What if you're thinking thoughts about God that are not true, and your faith is in a God that doesn't exist? Because it's not part of who he is. Meaning this. A.W. Tozer says this. A right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology but to practical Christian living as well. It is to worship what the foundation is to the temple. What is... Uh, What it is inadequate or out of plumb in the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ignoble thoughts about God. He is saying, listen, if you build your foundation on thoughts of God that are out of plumb with his character, he says, that kind of walk will fall down. So church, what, how do we remove uh, stumbling blocks for people? We describe God as he is described in the scriptures. God is holy. Y'all are looking at, you're, you're looking at me like I just said a four-letter word. She's the only one here counting. It's four letters, right? But that's not what I meant. 
When I said God is holy, and then he says, he says, without holiness, none will see God. He says, this is the character and nature of God, that we must describe him as he is. He is holy. Oh, but I, I, I think the holiness of God is actually something we can kind of put in a box just beyond our reach. But, but, but then, <laughs> when, when you come along, and here's the stumbling block that more people wrestle with. It is one of the highest points of all theology. God is good. God is good. Wait a minute. You don't know the pain I've been through. You don't know my circumstance. You don't know the sickness. You don't know the cancer. You don't know what I've been dealing with. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to remove the stumbling block and let you know that God is not bad. He is good no matter the circumstance, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm doing. We need the church to remove the stumbling block from people. He is good. Why don't we begin to shout from the rooftops that our God is full of mercy. He's full of forgiveness. He is full of grace. He's full of power. He's full of wisdom. And the list goes on and on and on. But our world doesn't know him because we've been busy kind of holding up, you know, just saying, okay, God, I just, I just want me to be good. The world is dealing with stumbling blocks and not really knowing God. And because we haven't embraced the nature of our calling, which is bold, they remain with their stumbling blocks. And the church with the power to move them remains silent. I believe that in this hour we need to, we need to ask three questions of ourselves. You should write these down. These will help you navigate daily carrying the cross because that's how we're called to carry it. God, who are the people that you're calling me to carry the cross to? Who are the people? And we know it's family. We know it's our church. We know it's our community. But sometimes you need a face. You need a name. Who can I carry the cross to today? Second, you need to ask, God, if you want me to carry the cross there, what's the problem? What's the problem? Are they not saved? Are they, do they not know you? What's the problem that I'm called to solve in this area? What is the problem? And then lastly, how can I be generous? It's not just about God, what you can do. It is now God, how can I partner with you and give of my time, my talents, and my treasure? This is what it means to carry the cross. It means, God, I am ready to wholly partner with you in bringing the kingdom of God corporately, people who don't know you yet this is our call church i'm going to finish by saying this most people when they think of the carrying the cross there's a weightiness that comes on our souls our thoughts we're like oh but did you know there was an emotion attached to the cross for christ Hebrews 12 tells us what it is. 
It was for the joy set before him he endured the cross, despising its shame. And here's what I want to tell you. When you carry the cross to where God is telling you to carry it, there will be joy. You'll see new life come into people's lives. You will see the kingdom of God begin to move. You'll see the hand of God start to work in lives. You'll see God begin to change neighborhoods that used to be filled with abuse and drug use. And you'll see schools begin to shine like never before. You'll suddenly say, oh God, that you did call me to carry something. But what keeps me carrying is the joy of partnering with you and seeing you move in people's lives. Joy will help you carry the cross. It carried Jesus to the cross. And it will be with us as we carry the cross to this community.